Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. I really appreciate the fact that you were here with us on this very special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We're also heard Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. We are also podcasting on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other locations. And we are also on YouTube. And if you're watching the video, you are seeing me moving my camera into a different position here for a better shot. Uh, not intentionally a better shot of me. Uh, uh, a better shot would just be of my guest who is joining us, David Richards. And we're going to be talking about uh, the Lighthouse Keeper here on the program as we also encourage you to participate in our uh, campaign that's been going on for a year, year and a half. It's called The Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020, Spending Time Going Within. Uh, listening to that still, small voice uh, that is within you, that is going to guide you and inspire you and encourage you, and also provide you with a quiet, still, peaceful place where you can recharge and rejuvenate and re-energize uh, so that you can jump out into your day, whether that's through meditation or just just taking a couple of minutes, maybe pulling into a parking lot for all that, for all that matters, and just... Stopping, shut the car off, turn it off, close your eyes for a couple of minutes, don't go to sleep, you know, and just listen, just listen. And that's all we're asking you to do. We also ask that if this program resonates with you, you like what we're doing, uh, we'd love to have your support financially. That is the reason why we have a PayPal and a Patreon account for your security as well as ours. Today is a program I think you're going to enjoy. Again, a special edition of Tell Me Your Story with David Richards, author of The Lighthouse Keeper. It is a story of mind mastery. Oh, boy, we could use that. David, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. And I have to say, and I will do this for the YouTube viewers, you and I must have the same barber. And I like the fact that you do have the beard and the mustache. That's right. That's right, Richard. Thanks so much for having me on. I just just listening to the intro, I'm so excited because I think between listening to the inner voice, especially uh, now in this day and age, it's it's been a central theme of my next book. Uh, certainly, obviously, a theme of Lighthouse Keeper. So I couldn't be more excited to talk with you today in your audience. Well, I'll tell you that what I have found so fascinating is how many people are now focused on that aspect of our lives, our inner life, our inner world. Um, and so you say that though we are here to talk about the lighthouse keeper, the mind, uh, you know, about mind mastery, um, what has, what was it that led you to understand and be aware of and follow through with that aspect of listening to that still small voice? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And honestly, I think I, so I came from the military. I've been out of the military now for 15 years, but the military is a very external place. And certainly there's psychological things that you have to deal with, but I came out and uh, I did, I, I just, I 
found an article, a Sports Illustrated article, talked about football players using uh, yoga to strengthen their midsections. I had never, ba- I'd barely even heard of yoga, and I said, you know what, I'm going to go to a class. So I went to a class. It was a gentle class. I was like, okay, it's kind of weird, but maybe it'll help me stretch when I work out before I lift weights. Two days later, different class, different instructor, and I'm like drenched in sweat. And I'm just like, what is happening? Like something is happening because it was sort of like I was pausing and I would go from, you know, I was leaving the military environment where I didn't spend a lot of time in email to a corporate environment where I would get, you know, 200 email by lunch and I would leave work and my, my mind would just be this noise of traffic. And so I found when I got to a yoga studio and sat down on a mat, it just got quiet. And so I was hooked immediately. A year later, I became a yoga instructor. Uh, I've been teaching yoga now for almost 14 years, but it was, it was, there, there's something to that. And it's, it's not, (laughs) these people have been practicing yoga for thousands of years. There's a reason why they do it. And I wanted to find out for me what that reason was. And so that was really my, my dig. And and I, I, the lighthouse keeper, uh, the idea came to me while working my first book. And uh, it was just something I taught to my students said, you know, think of how you view the world. And in this case, your mind is an ocean and that's where all your memories are. Everyone you've ever met is there. And your awareness, where you put your attention is a lighthouse. And most of us throughout our days create these patterns and the lighthouse just goes around in these patterns to kind of reinvent or, you know, reshape or re-strengthen what we already believe to be true about our lives and the habits we formed. And through the practice of meditation and focus, and willpower, you can start to actually kind of direct where you want your attention to go instead of let it be directed by your, your past conditions and, and habits you've created. You know, I heard something not too long ago from one of my guests, and we were talking about choices. And then, of course, in the book, <clears throat> Lighthouse Keeper, your main character, he makes some choices uh, to, to basically try his hand at Lighthouse Keeper's apprentice. And I'm sitting here thinking, I mean, really, how hard can that be? I mean, during the day, it's not on. During the night, you turn it on, and it just does its thing. If it's right. foggy out, you 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 have it on also. And if, I don't know if there's a foghorn that goes along with it. I mean, how tough can that be? But I know there's more to it than that. But he makes choices. And one of the things that my, my guest said... Uh, that I had never really thought of before. And, of course, we both would agree that, you know, we've heard this before, that where we are today is based upon all the choices that we've made in the past. And, of course, then they would say, well, you know, that all of the choices you make today will determine where you will be tomorrow. Well, my guest said something that was very profound to me. He said that that's not exactly true. The reality is, he said, That your perception of the future determines the choices that you will make today that will determine your future, if you will. So if we have a pessimistic view, it's everybody else's fault. I'm the victim view. Then the choices that we make and and we have seen this happen in our own recent history to people who have had a victim mentality, even in the, uh, and I I bring this up only as an example, the 2016 political campaign, okay, national, on on many levels. It was, I, I epitomize that as, that was the victim campaign. It was everybody else's fault, 
and to hell with everybody else. It's just us. We're the only ones on the planet. We don't care about anybody. And it's and so what was created? Well, what we're living in today. And now we're we're trying to look forward optimistically, and yet there are still people who are pessimistic. And and you so you sit here and you wonder about what is not just you know what is our national future? What is our social future? Our civilization's future? If we have a split of images, if you will, of what's coming in the future. Whereas if it's just me or if it's just you, David, and I suppose we could even, even within ourselves, could we could still have split perceptions. How does that work in terms of, of the choices that we make? I mean, don't we have to decide which path we want to go, optimistic, pessimistic, glass half full, half empty, uh, before we can really start making choices? Because it seems to me rather schizophrenic. It's a, it's a great question. And I, and I think your, your guess was certainly on to something. I would amend, at least I would, what I would say was, you know, one of the virtues that I've taken away from yoga is the idea of being present. And the idea of being present is when you're fully present, then it's not necessarily that you're thinking you're not, it's not like there's, there's no delay in translation between what you're experiencing in the world and what's happening in the world. And I think in, in most cases we experience delay. I'm watching a TV show and there's something in my head that says, okay, this isn't real because superheroes can't fly or whatever. And so I'm processing this slowly and absorbing the story. Well, if I'm really present, I lose myself in the story. And so I think when you say half glass full, you know, glass empty, glass or half full, half empty, I think it comes down to when you're really present, then you're able to translate things instantly. And so you can make a decision instantly. So that bias is taken away. And I think that's, you know, when we look at, when I look at even just what happened over the past, you know, four or five months in the country with the election and this idea that insurrection could happen in the 21st century in, you know, a, a country that supposedly is advanced and sophisticated as the United States, and yet we saw it play on live TV. And I, I, I know people on both sides, and there are people who are like, he was robbed. And there are people like, how can you, how can you, how is that your reality? But you see, the more you have that bias, then that kind of distorts reality. And so I think what, what I think certainly has happened, you know, I, I tell some of my friends, I live in two separate worlds because there's one sense where people are like, oh, just trying to make it the best of it. And this is, you know, this is what it is. And then there are people who are like, this is a giant spiritual awakening. Like everyone is waking up now. And so I think, yeah, this is a spiritual awakening. And as that happens, I think more and more people are going to become present. And so we're going to lose that bias. And I think that's what the, the global awakening is going to really take place. You know, I've heard that before, too, about the spiritual awakening, which is which is a far cry from the awakening that we've had over the last five or six years. That awakening has actually, and some people are actually saying it was a good thing as to what happened uh, over the last five or six years. Because uh, the, the one key phrase you hear quite often is, well, it opened the conversation. At least now we're talking about these things. Uh, and even as you and I are conversing here, there's a trial going on. Uh, over one of these issues that we have been sort of sort of talking about, but not really doing anything about. Haven't nothing's really changed because it keeps happening over and over again. Um, so 
from that standpoint, from a, a, a real-world material standpoint, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting to see what has transpired, what has opened up, what, what conversations are being discussed that in maybe one sense used to be taboo. But at the same time, would you say that some people are beginning to realize, yes, that's important in this world? In the material world that we live in, but it's not really because on a spiritual level, on a higher level, on a, a more conscious level, um, those things are going to fall away as we deal with them, as we realize we're bigger than this. We are more important than this. And I don't mean we in the... A tribal sense. I mean, we in the human sense, or even yep. in the immortal sense, right? Sure. We are immortal. We are immortal. I mean, that which animates your body, David, and that which animates mine will live on beyond the life of this physical body, right? Well, I mean, I think, and that's something that it's, it's so interesting to me that, you know, when we look at science fiction or entertainment. We have created, like, I'm a huge superhero fan. I grew up reading comic books 50 years, you know, basically 45 years ago. And to see, like, Iron Man and Thor doing stuff that I always wanted to see them do on TV happen now is amazing. Yeah. And you're like, we've created such amazing universes, and yet we somehow think that we are external to our own universe. It's the weirdest thing as humans, because if if you realize that you are, like, the universe is a giant fishbowl. I don't care. You can use that, like make it as big as you want as small as you want right but the idea is your consciousness has been in the universe the entire time and so what happens is as you travel through time especially if you're always looking to grow and kind of challenge yourself you're going to gain more of your consciousness back so it's it's i mean this is something that like we know time travels we travel through time consciousness travels through time so so that's what a spiritual waking is and i think you know this year has been so fascinating because more than ever, people have been online. Yeah. Zoom has taken off. And in some sense, it's brought us closer together because we realize, like, it doesn't matter. You're in California. I'm in North Carolina. I've had conversations with people in Colombia, with Australia, India, Europe, everywhere. Everybody's trying to figure out the same thing. Like, I just want to be happy. Like, I want my friends to be happy. And at some point, we're going to say, okay, well, everybody wants the same thing. It doesn't really matter what color skin you are, what you believe. We all came from a sperm and an egg. Bottom line. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same color from what I can tell. Like I haven't done any microscopic work, but <laughs> so once you kind of wake up to the reality that we are exactly the same, yeah. and yet there's some higher power that's created us to have this experience, then you start to okay, well, what does this experience mean? And oh my gosh, if if I'm good with a team of people, or if we're good with a country, what could we put like united as a world? What does that mean? What does that look like? What does that feel like? Like how would it be to have global celebration? Because like we realize we're all sharing the same experience in some sense. So, yeah, I think absolutely. We are talking with David Richards, and he is the author of The Lighthouse Keeper. He's also the author of Whiskey and Yoga. We're going to find out how that con- 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 
a combination. Yeah, easy for me to say uh, how that works here on Tell Me Your Story. This is a special edition as we continue talking. And uh, davidrichardsauthor.com is his website. We will be linked to your website, David, so that uh, people can uh, check you out and uh, see what you're all about. Here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And we are uh, discussing his book, David Richards' book, uh, which is The Lighthouse Keeper. But also there's, and I have to tell you, (laughs) I was so, uh, I I just sat here and chuckled uh, over the title of this one book that you have here, having to do with finding your purpose. Find your purpose, whiskey and yoga. Now, something tells me that, as they say, uh, as you get liquored up, And you don't want to drink and drive, okay? But it has been scientifically verified that a person who has been drinking and ends up in an accident is usually less likely to be injured because they are so loose. So if you're drinking a little whiskey and you're doing some yoga, you probably are a little more limber. Now, that's a whole side thing. What in the world? Where did this title come from? Yeah, it's it's pretty funny because I... uh, Obviously, I've been teaching yoga, as I mentioned, for uh, almost 15 years now, or 14 years. In uh, the Marine Corps, was kind of just like a beer person because that's kind of the Marine thing to do. You'd have scotch, but it would be like, or literally whiskey, you'd have like Jim Beam or something. And then as I got out and like I started to really find that different scotches really had different tastes, I really got into to whiskey. And so uh, in Christmas, during Christmas of 2016, someone gave me a whiskey and yoga t-shirt because of my background. And I thought, that's pretty funny. And it just so happened that I had heard a lot about the law of attraction and was kind of trying to tune into that message. And someone recommended reading Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. So I started reading in January. And uh, I think in chapter one or chapter two, he asks the reader, what is your purpose in life? And it was, I was blown away. I was like, what do you mean? Like my life has a purpose. What are you talking about? This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And, but it, it like, it was just like this punch to the chin. And I was like, my life has purpose. And so I like, I wrote out a purpose statement. It was about like writing stuff and like communicating this out. And I'm like, I'm going to write whiskey and yoga. That's going to be my book. And so I, I was so excited because I'm like, that's the name of the book. And and for me, that's for whatever reason, that's been a trademark of mine that I kind of need to have the title of what I'm going to write before I write it, because mm. the title should be like a summary of the entire book. Right. And so I'm like, okay, so whiskey and yoga. And then it's kind of like I got into it. I'm like, all right, well, how do I, how do I put these two things together? Because what is, what do they really have in common for me? And like, I mean, I don't drink whiskey and do yoga, but like, what's the, what's the connection? And so I kind of it really came down to me for, they're both about the journey of the spirit and for whiskey, it's in a cask where it ages and in yoga, it's in this physical body where you go through different phases and experiences and transcend hopefully to higher levels of awareness. Uh, and so with that whiskey and yoga was born, I, I spent about, or about 200 pages, uh, got to April of 2017, decided I didn't like any of what I'd written because it was like, it was too autobiographical. And so I threw it all away and I, I wrote a 10 chapter outline for a book. I wrote it in two months, uh, went on to become like a number one international bestseller for Amazon. So re- really, really cool story, but, uh, but that's how Whiskey and Yoga was born. Um, I'm curious, uh, when you talk about this, this aspect of the journey of the spirit, 
and in, whether it's he, myself or the, or the whiskey, which is a spirit. The one thing that, that just kind of struck me is like I, I hear the term whiskey, which seems to be sort of generic because there are all different kinds of. Did you ever go through that or was that even relevant to, to the conversation? We're talking about the aging and the fermentation of this liquid that then becomes something that I suppose – if it's short-term aging, it's going to be really strong. But if it's long-term aging, it gets smoother and smoother and smoother. And I myself, not a whiskey drinker, at least not as far as I know, unless, of course, um, Jameson is considered a whiskey or <laughs> I know that uh, Irish cream is not a whiskey. It's a liqueur. Uh, but but uh, um, I just was curious as to whether there was any research in that regard if, or if that even made any difference whatsoever. Um, I didn't. I didn't go too deep, and I, I love. I love how you frame it. Now I wish I'm like, oh, I should have. But um, <laughs> I, I went into some detail about how whiskey is made and the different types and how they age it. Um, and but I didn't try to. If the if the reader was going to make a connection, I wanted them to make a connection to. Oh, that's a process. Yeah, the aging right. process. Mm -hmm. So and that's a great thing for me. What I've come to appreciate is I remember, in fact, when when. Uh, I launched whiskey and yoga. Uh, I had a 42 year old bottle of scotch that I was, I was going to open if it went to number one and it went to number one, like in self-help and yoga, like eight 30 that night or something. And I remember like, I'd never had something. I'd had like 18 year old scotch. It's like, okay, it's expensive, but I'm not really sure. So I took the first sip and it was like, it was like a slow motion understanding of the taste. It was just like the taste stretched out over the entire drink. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So, um, I wish I like, now that you said, it, I'm like, Oh, maybe I need to. Remember. <laughs> um, but I love that because it wasn't, it wasn't something like I was more, I played with it in a very cutesy way because I didn't want to go too deep into stuff. Right. But I, I love that approach. Maybe, maybe you can uh, do an appendix or a, a sequel. Maybe the sequel. A sequel. There you go. A sequel. All my, all my friends are like, what are you going to do? You know, tequila and Pilates. I'm like, uh, <laughs> we'll see. But there he is. <laughs> Vodka and vocalizing. How about that? So many options. So many, absolutely. David Richards is my guest, uh, and we have our respective brews in front of us. I'm not sure what it is you're drinking. I'm not even sure what it is I'm drinking, but it sure is oh. good. Here on Tell Me Your Story, a special edition here on uh, this program is here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. as well as this special edition of Tell Me Your Story, streaming live at richarddugan.com. And uh, we also come your way on uh, podcasts on SoundCloud and Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and YouTube, where you can watch these videos. And we encourage you to go to davidrichardsauthor.com. We will be linked to his website as well. As Tell Me Your Story continues and we continue talking with David Richards about his work and the things that he does, you, uh, now with Whiskey and Yoga, which we spoke about in the last uh, segment, uh, last part of the program here, find your purpose. Whiskey and Yoga, find your purpose. One of the key themes of this program, uh, we, pr we talk about new paradigms for a new world. Uh, not a new world order, a new world. That's not to say, and I say, I've been saying this now for a few years, it's not to say that the world we're in is horrible, terrible, icky. We got to get out of here, Richard. Uh, David, we got to get out of here. We got to, let's go to Mars. No, 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 right. no, no, no. 
You know, uh, and again, is your glass half full or glass glass half empty? Mine's half full. Okay, so all I want there's always as the as the saying goes in this world in this material world there's always room for improvement, right? Both inner and outer. So how can we make it better? How can we make it better? I mean, look at uh, you and I both have been working on computers for a number of years. Uh, how many times do you get those messages saying, hey, the new version is available. Really, all they've done is maybe change the color of a button, you know, move things around a little bit. No real significant change. And other times there are significant changes. And they say, OK, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, 5.0. I mean, especially with phones nowadays. Uh, and so we're always upgrading, supposedly to something better. Sometimes it isn't. But that's the process that we go through in life, isn't it? Uh, sometimes we will upgrade. Sometimes I will read a book. I will interview someone. I will have an experience that teaches me something. As a life coach, you you live your own life. Who who is your life coach? Who insp- who who uh, uh, generates these kinds of ideas and so forth for you? To keep you motivated, uh, or do you just go back and read your blogs and things of this nature and your books, uh, and that helps you? <laughs> I, I wish no, I wish it were that easy. No, I think um, I, I mean I think certainly I look at you know Napoleon Hill was huge for me. Bob Proctor, I think as I look at the people who sort of in order kind of pulled me in. I would even say you know honestly, Richard, um, I lived for three years in Japan as a kid because my dad was in the military too. And like Buddha in some ways, like getting exposed to Eastern culture in the late 70s, early 80s, when less than like a tenth of a percent of American kids had that experience was huge to me because I started meditating when I was probably like 12 or 13. Like I didn't know what I was doing, but I, but I would like, I would sit there and meditate. And um, so I think for me, it really like, it came down to there's an external world. I, I live in it. I see it. I can touch it. There's absolutely an internal world. And I think as more people have gotten online, as we've sort of advanced, there is still, you know, I look at it as, you know, I, I teach yoga, as I've said, and on with, with the pandemic now, we've adjusted like how classes proceed. But generally, I have anywhere from 10 to like 15 people in class. Usually, it's 80% women and 20% men. Sometimes it's different. But the reason for that is because men do not like to get in their heads. That is an inside job. And we have squashed that voice. Like you learn as a teenager, like your imaginary friends might be really cool when you're three, four or five. But as you get older, time to put that voice away and come into the adult world. And I think that's what ends up happening is like men in particular sort of crush that because our journey is the hero's journey. It's external. Whereas the heroine's journey for the female is internal. And I think that's where like, you know, I've certainly started to appreciate the power and the brilliance of women more as I've gone further down the internal journey. You know, it's, it's uh, it is a challenge to take that internal journey. It can be very frightening, very scary for some folks because they have to face their dark side. And sometimes it's not so much uh, their, their dark side, their glass half empty side, as much as it is 
the traumas that they have experienced that they're still holding on to. Uh, you know, and and justifiably so. You know, people have gone through some pretty horrific stuff in their childhood and young adulthood uh, that they're still dealing with today, and that holds people back. How do you help people to get through those kinds of things? Well, I think the the best thing is, and I think that's the beauty of coaching is you really help someone help themselves because the whole the whole gig with coaching is I'm not going to give you the answer. I'm going to ask you a question that hopefully provides you a question to answer your own, you know, that gives you your own answer. Because ultimately if I say, well, Richard, here's what you need to do to fix your life. Then you try it and you're like, well, it didn't work. David doesn't know what he's talking about. But if I said like, what are some ways that you could look at this situation differently? How can you empower yourself to take action instead of responding in this situation? Now suddenly you have the keys. Well, how do I do that? Because you have to ask yourself the question like, well, why do I, okay. He wants me to think about this. How would I do that? Oh, if I did this, Hey, that would work out really well. Then, and I think that's why coaching has taken off. That's why masterminds have taken off. Like I did, you know, two years ago, I did a Tony Robbins, Dean Graziosi thing. Tony Robbins has been a huge influence in my life, especially in, in writing my books. I think Jesus, to a, you know, to a great extent, like looking at just even the teachings of Jesus and what he went through and understanding that message and the resonance and relevance of that message today. Um, but I think really, we want to empower people because when you empower people, then you don't feel like it's not the victim mindset anymore. It's I, I'm not just reacting and responding to what the events that are going on around me. I can take action. I can take action in my own body, but you know, my own life. And ultimately that's kind of what led me to write whiskey and yoga about finding your purpose. Because when you realize you have a purpose in your life, then you're going to want to take action. You're like, Oh my gosh, this is so exciting to me. Like there's a direction and there's a focus and there's this magnetic north that I'm being pointed to and guided to. I want to take that. How do I get there? How do I like? How do I contribute to other people's lives and make their lives better? Because that's fulfilling for me. So I think it's really about like setting the spark in someone uh, for them to take action themselves. Yeah, I've I've used the philosophy in in my work, and I'll call it my vocation uh, that um, uh, it is not my goal to be successful. It is my goal to make you successful, and in turn. I become successful. Yep. And I think that's one of those things that uh, a lot of businesses, corporations, they're starting to understand that. Um, when I think about the companies that used to exist prior to, let's say, 2008, 2009 in particular, that don't anymore, because maybe of the external events of the economy that under that took them out, including this past year, 2020, and, and the, the, the virus uh, and, and, and so forth that caused us to make decisions that ended up closing a bunch of companies, a bunch of businesses, both uh, corporate as well as uh, individual sole proprietorships and, 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 and uh, locally owned businesses. It gets me to thinking of, on a more metaphysical level about that person, that group of people, and whether and what their intent was. And I, I'm not passing judgment. It's more of an observation on this, and maybe you can help us to, to look at this a little bit as we continue. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, and that is, uh, uh, okay, so why aren't they in business anymore? And forget about the externals. What was going on on the inner life? of the individual or individuals 
that may have perpetuated this. As we continue talking with David Richards, I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. As we bring you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And Tell Me Your Story is here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mornings at 1 a.m. Streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com as well as during this special edition of Tell Me Your Story with David Richards. And we're talking about his work, uh, his books in particular, uh, both The Lighthouse Keeper as well as Whiskey and Yoga. And what about this thing I was talking about just a moment ago in terms of um, the changes that have taken place specifically in business, which obviously have affected us as individuals as well, where some businesses aren't anymore. And I mentioned the internal life of the people or the individual uh, that may have precipitated this. And you can use all of the external arguments you want. Well, because the government said shut down, everybody stay locked down and so forth, and now I can't make any money, so now my business is gone, and that's what caused it. But it's always the internal life, isn't it, that manifests in the external. Can you can you talk a little, and I'm not asking for specific explanations as to why, but maybe in a general sense, what what is it that's going on inside of us that then we end up manifesting this kind of stuff on the outside? Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting because if you read Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, there's a, a just a it's almost kind of chilling, but I guess it's really poignant that once they're freed from um, the concentration camp, a group of them go out into a field and it's springtime. I think it's May or you know, late April, but like everything's blooming and they had no reaction. And they're like, they had to learn happiness again. And so you kind of see that like, if you, if you kind of water yourself down with the same limiting beliefs over and over again, then that's your get out plan. And I think when we look at like the businesses that shut down, closed down, it's, it's really that the internal mindset is, oh, like, oh, now this happened, so I have to do this. Well, if you really care about what you do and you really feel like you're making a difference in people's lives, you're going to find a way to continue to do it. If you don't care that much, you're going to find an excuse on why it's not going to work. And I think that's kind of the balance that people have to strike is, am I doing something that is really fulfilling, really meaningful to me and I really care about? In other words, I'm not, I don't have a plan B or, oh, this is a pain in the butt now because like I got to put some work into this. It used to just be on autopilot and now... Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm just going to try to find my own job. That I mean, that's again, it comes to choices, but it's also about the mindset of how authentically are you living, and what what you're doing is that authentically something you care about, or have you conditioned yourself to be like, you know what? I'm doing this to pay the bills, so I can live whatever. And now that that's not working, I, I got to go go find something else. I hate I hate people because the economy is tanked. This riot, this virus, we hate each other. So so I think. You know, you see that reaction globally, and I think some people have come together, and some people have splintered apart, and I think it comes down to that mindset. The one thought that came to me when uh, I started hearing about the number of businesses that shut down in 2008 and 2009, um, one of the first thoughts was, I wonder how many of those individuals who lost their jobs really didn't like their jobs. And it seemed like the universe was trying to tell them something. Now, the interesting upside to that was that shortly thereafter, there was this 
boon in entrepreneurial businesses. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just exploded because I guess people just realized, well, you know, I'm not working for IBM anymore or Ford or whatever the corporation is anymore. That's what my my dad did and his dad and his dad and his dad, you know, going back, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it really wasn't what I wanted to do, but it was the family business, you know, working for Ford, working for IBM, etc. And now I'm free. And I can go any direction I want. And can I, I just have to think about this in terms of, I mean, you worked for a corporation, Cisco Systems. Yep. Uh, and I'm curious, was that one of those jobs that was a job that you were trained for through college, but really wasn't your life's purpose? It's a great question. I So... As I said, I grew up in the military. So, and then I was in the military. For, I was in the Marines for 15 years. So, my life was a military life. Like we lived, we lived off base out of like my entire life. Well, when I was in uniform, but certainly as a kid, we lived off base for four years, and from like 1975 or something to 1978 or nine, and and that was it. And so like, I didn't really know what civilians were, who civilians were. When I got out of the Marines, I applied to three places. I applied to Cisco. I applied to defense contractor outside of DC. And I applied with uh, like someone who'd gone through like this unique military school that I'd gone through, who basically now had a security operation that he was running out of Bahrain. So I could have gone to be a mercenary. And like, I didn't want, that, that sounded cool, but I was like, I'm, I'm not gonna be a pirate because I'll never come back to the US and it'll be so completely different. I didn't want to do the fence thing. So I came to Cisco <clears throat> and probably for my first five years, just like, how do I become not military? Like, how do I sort of divorce myself from that? And, uh, but then what I came to appreciate was like, I was hesitant because I had tattoos on my arms. And so I wouldn't wear short sleeve shirts where you could see my tattoos. <clears throat> and then one year Cisco said, you know what? Show off your tattoos. You got tattoos. Let's celebrate your tattoos. And so I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And, and slowly the company guys just kind of, woke up sort of and it has became like this really compassionate you know accountable company where like people they understand that like even if we outsource stuff to different parts of the world those people like need support and like especially during the pandemic when the pandemic hit like we had to shift all the stuff of keeping the world network running basically to working from home and we did that pretty seamlessly but i think you know that's another piece of it is especially working at cisco because it is like the biggest kid on the block in terms of creating internet pipes and the plumbing, if you will. But like you start to become globally connected. Like I'm a more compassionate person today because I deal with people in Europe and India and Japan and South America all the time. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, they want the exact same things I want. And I think the more we get connected from an internet perspective, the more we're gonna see that. So I'd like, I think the corporate America, it depends on what you do. But certainly, like, the, the wave of the future is going to be a much greater interconnectedness. I, I, there's, a, there's a, a sort of kind of a dichotomy in, in as far as the military is concerned. From my perspective, <clears throat> the downside, of course, is the, the actual action that you have to face if you're in combat yep. and, and all of the ramifications thereof. <clears throat> but then there's the other side of it, 
which I wish we could. There's there's a part of me that kind of wishes that maybe we do what Israel does. Everybody has to serve at least two years. Doesn't mean they have to stay in for 15 years like you did. That was a choice of yours. <clears throat> but at least they get a feel specifically for one element that I think is absolutely fantastic that individuals are 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 indoctrinated in or inculcated with, and those are still probably the wrong words because I think this is a wonderful aspect, and that is <clears throat> the brotherhood and sisterhood inside the military uh, where you train with and you work with and you live with and you play with pretty much the same group of people for a long period of time, and especially if you're in combat, now you guys are bonded. I mean, I've, I've heard of... Uh, <clears throat> of, of um, uh, uh, pacts that certain groups make you know and say at the beginning of a uh, of a mission or what have you that you know hey if i don't come back or what have you this is what we're going to do this is what you're going to do you're going to go to my family blah 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 <clears throat> and that you have their back you as they say in the military you have your six i've got your six uh that is something that seems to be missing would you say from our civilian world, where unless there's a natural disaster of some sort, um, our beliefs, our philosophies, even our economic standings get in the way and divide us away from having each other's six. Would you say? Yeah, no, I think, I think it's funny because my mom says the same thing, like everybody should serve. And it's not about the gung-ho and learning how to kill or anything like that. No, it's no. About the idea that there's something bigger than yourself that you can serve. And I look back, the, the best things I learned from the military was some point you got to kick your own ass to get moving. Like at some point you have to be your fire starter. Mm -hmm. There are times when like you're going to have a buddy with you and they're like, come on, you got to do this. But then there are also times when you're the one who's like, come on, dude, we got to do this. And you got to be both the motivator and the motivated. And so coming to the realization that like, ultimately I got to, I got to light this fire because that's what leadership is, is like finding the fire within. It's a great lesson. I think the other thing I've learned from the military is, yeah, when you work towards a common purpose, it's amazing what you can accomplish. And the more people are bought into the common purpose and even in corporate America that has tremendous application because now there's such a focus on customer experience. Well, guess what? That's the same principles apply from warfare. All warfare you're trying to do is influence the enemy to take actions you want them to take. If you're doing that, then you're controlling the situation. That's the same thing with customer experience. That's just telling you how well you're doing and influencing what the customer wants, like what you want the customer to do. If your customer experience isn't great, they're probably not going to buy a lot of products. If it is really great, then they are. So I think, you know, sometimes I, at least as I transitioned out, my impression was, I remember... I was I sat next to a sales guy and uh, he'd had a pretty good year, but I watched him buy a $66,000 car on eBay and I'm coming from the military. I was just kind of making six figures back then, but I asked him, I'm like, are you financing that? He's like, no, I'll pay cash. I'm like, wow, so you just bought a $66,000 car in cash. And I think in some ways, that's at least one of the less flattering sides of Americanism is it's a little bit of self-indulgence. Mm -hmm. I think serving in the military and realizing that like common goals really do help you find strengths and unity within one another instead of division is a tremendous reason that we should have like some sort of compulsory greater than 
greater than your self-service. It doesn't necessarily have to be military service, but something that helps you appreciate that working towards a common aim with someone else makes you stronger together. David Richards, my guest, David Richards Author.com is the website. We encourage you to go to his website. We will be linked to it here on Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And I want to talk to you uh, as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, David. <clears throat> David Richards, my guest here on the program. Uh, I want to talk to you about something you mentioned, I think, twice here in the program. I joke about this on the one hand. Uh, but uh, in all seriousness, there is a line in our Declaration of Independence that basically says we have these inalienable rights, and among them, only three are listed, but there are more by implication, life, liberty, ah, and the one I want to talk to you about because you mentioned it, happiness. Oh, I'm sorry, the pursuit of happiness. And you talked about that in terms of people being happy, in terms of you being happy. And I, I hate to burst your bubble, but you can't be happy. All you can do is pursue it. Now, that's according to the Founding Fathers. <laughs> right. I say that, right. I say oh, that tongue in cheek. Hey, words matter. Words matter, right? Like they the pursuit of happiness is not the same thing as happiness. No, so. it is not. But let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, from your, from your perspective, from your experience and observation, what is, what is happiness? That's, it's such a great question. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's going to sound a little zen, but I think happiness is like when you were just tuned in to not only your inner experience, but your outer experience at the same time, because that's ultimately what, I mean, that's being present. If I'm, if I'm not having to think of, I am talking to someone on a Mac computer, he is looking back at me from Santa Barbara, California. Wow, that's 3,000 miles. Like if I'm not having that, and I'm just kind of being with you, I'm so happy because it's fulfilling to me to be authentic. And if I can be my authentic self without pausing, without editing or delaying what it is I'm you know, saying or feeling or thinking, that's fantastic. That has nothing to do with how much money I make. It has nothing to do with how big my apartment or my house or my truck or my boat is. It's like, I want to be authentic because the more I tap into whatever this is that I'm expressing, the better I feel. And if I have a message that resonates with people, that's happiness to me. So I think that's, you know, and I, it's funny because I get that question a lot, a little bit differently, but I know like I'll, I'll do written interviews and they're like, what do you find design, define yourself uh, in terms of literary success? And it's not about being a New York Times bestseller. It's not about being Wall Street bestseller or anything else. It's about like, if I write something that's so good that people are like, you have to read this, this is amazing. That's what I want. Like that's that's what drives me. It's not about the recognition of monetary, you know, success or fame. Because if you if you tie yourself to that kind of happiness, you're never going to be happy. Yeah. Because someone's always going to have more money. Someone's always going to have a bigger house. Someone's always going to have a nicer car. And so it's got to be like, what is the thing in me that I find fulfilling, that I find exciting, that I want to share with people because I think it's going to make a difference. That's my definition of happiness. Yeah. And everybody's pursuit thereof is a little different. It could be paying yep. cash for a $66,000 car. Uh, in, in my instance, and, and it's funny how I, I derive a, a certain element of happiness, sometimes uh, from just the simple restoration of something, uh, whether it's 
Uh, we have regular power outages here on the Central Coast only because where I live, they're, they're upgrading the equipment. So uh, they'll send a notice out saying, okay, on the 25th of April from 5 a.m. to 6 p.m., we're going to have the power out to, you know, upgrade our equipment. And so we are fortunate we have a trailer. I fire up the old generator and we go in the trailer. We can watch TV because use the hotspot on my phone and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and then when the electricity's turned back on, I'm going, wow, this feels really cool. This, this, like, this is like new. Or if, uh, if I'm getting a repair on the truck, if there's something that wasn't working and now all of a sudden it's working. Or if I figure it out or, or I, the other day I had a problem with the stereo in the travel trailer. It wouldn't, it, the panel wouldn't work, but the remote worked. So I called them up and they said, well, why don't you do this, this and this? I did that. Voila, the panel's working again. So it's like, oh, this is new. And it's, it's, it's just such a gratifying feeling when those kinds of things happen. Now, a lot of people, they just take it, they just take it for granted. You know, eh, that's the way it's supposed to be. But I, I look at it like, this is really cool. I, I feel like I'm in a new truck or I'm in a new trailer or, you know, the house is, is sort of new, you know. <laughs> and um, so I'm wondering about... <clears throat> Teaching people how to see things from a different perspective that is how, – how do you do that? How do you get people to start looking at the world from the glass half full as opposed to the glass half empty or totally empty? <laughs> oh, that's a great question. I think part of it is – you, you got to kind of get understand what their paradigm is because once you understand the box they've created for themselves, they live in like, all right, well, let's break the box. And so you just got to, and, and that comes down to a kind of really in-depth listening and, and active listening and then asking a question that's going to disrupt that box. And it's so funny to see it happen. I, like, I remember I did it. I mean, one thing that comes to mind was I was working with a coaching client uh, back in, I think October and it was intense, it, like, because he would, like, he didn't pull punches and we didn't agree on stuff, but we just went through it. And then, like, our third or fourth session, I asked him a question and I could see it kind of stuck with him. And then, like, this, like, this just wave came over his face and he realized he didn't like the question. And so he got super defensive. And so it was just like, I'm like, oh, we're on it. Like, this is it. This is happening. And so, like, we went through this, like, sort of heated exchange kind of. And then afterwards, he sent me an email. He's like, I think I'm on the verge of a breakthrough. And I'm like, that's so cool. Cause like I saw when it started to happen. And so, you know, that's, and that's kind of, you just have to be courageous. Like ultimately, again, if your happiness comes at the expense of someone else, then it's not real happiness. Yeah. So like you want to find like, that's fulfilling to me is if I can make you happy, that's going to help me be happier because like I'm, I'm helping you make a shift in your life that you can't, revert back to like once you sort of expand your consciousness you're not going to collapse it down again and so i think that's it you just have to be courageous and ask questions to to help them step to the right or left of where they normally respond from to be like oh i didn't think about that like oh my gosh yeah i, I really can make a difference i can i can make a choice based on not the external circumstances but like what's going to get me closer to my end state so yeah, yeah it's super super cool you talked about a, another book that you've got, you're working on having to do with our inner life, uh, following our, our still small voice and, and, and so forth. <clears throat> I'm curious. You said earlier that uh, the only way that you can really write a book is to have the title first. Can you share with us what that title is? 
I don't know if I have it yet. Oh, okay. So it's, it's so funny. Well, because we talked, like, I know, uh, so I said last year, it was the, I think it was right, right around the spring, spring equinox. I went to a mastermind, which I can't feel there in Santa Barbara. It's right when everything was shutting down. The lighthouse keeper was scheduled to be released uh, like this week, a year ago this week. So the end of March. And uh, so like, I didn't want to promote that too much, but I had this idea for a book called being B E I N G. And it was this, it was kind of formed. Like I had, I, in late January of last year, I received a, an email from this crowdfunding website. It's like, Hey, we're doing a publishized, you know, publishing contest, uh, February, get as many crowdfunding support as you can. And it'll open you up to publishers. So I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm just working on promoting lighthouse keeper. I just started podcasts and stuff this like I barely have a concept for this book but something's like let's go ahead and do it and so I did so I said hey and I had to do like I spent an hour and a half doing a like three minute video like I kept editing it and then I went to Jack and I'm like this is kind of the idea it's like the idea is who we are is more important than what we do even though there's a relationship between what we do is always shaping who we are becoming um and it was curious because like I mean Jack had some good feedback the other people in the mastermind had feedback but then towards the end Jack's like you've got a year and I was like, what does that mean? Like, I have a year <laughs> like, doesn't make sense. So then I came back and I started working on the book and it was going to, I was going to subtitle it, how to win the game of your life. And I was like, cause it's like, like there had to be some sort of catch to pull people in. And so like, I'm like, okay, this is it. And so I started writing it and I wrote, uh, like I got 22 pages on my Mac and I was looking, I was using uh, like being a military uh, person, uh, a student of history. So like I was, I've always been intrigued by ancient Rome. So I was looking at Caligula cause I'd never really looked up on him and he did some crazy stuff, not just the decadent stuff that Hollywood made moves about, but he was just insane with, with power kind of. And I'd laid out kind of what chapter one was going to be and how the book was going to lay out. And then I'm like, you know what? I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to just write another book. And so I took, uh, I took my 22 pages. I got rid of it and I got a journal and uh started handwriting something and uh and that's become sort of the the direction that the book has taken um but i'm still i'm still journaling uh even to this day david richards my guest here on the program whiskey and yoga great combination you know <clears throat> it's just like peanut butter and jelly as well as the lighthouse keeper that we're talking about as well and his work uh, it's a, a journey, a mastermind. It's a story of masterminding. And uh, I find that interesting, too. Now, I haven't attended any mastermind classes or workshops or seminars. Uh, I've watched a lot of TED Talks, uh, which can, to me, a lot of them are kind of along those lines, even though I've never, like I said, never done a mastermind yeah. uh, program. Yeah. Uh, and some of those I just find so fascinating. It's like, really? You... You came up. That's a great idea. I've never even thought of that. Not even in my wildest dreams. Uh, I watched a movie years ago, not that many years ago, that's available. I think it's still on Netflix called Upside Down. And it's a science fiction film about two planets that are literally hundreds of feet apart. And there are populations on both. And you have you have the duality. One planet is sort of dark and dingy and dim, and they're the, they're the workers. The other side is the light, and they're very affluent, very well-to-do. 
And um, if you get this particular stone or or what have you, gem or or what have you, uh, you can travel to the other planet without floating away because you maintain the gravity of the planet on which you were born. And there's a way for you to travel from one of the planets to the other so that the workers can go to the other planet and do work and then go back to their place where their gravity is normal. I mean, and so it's a combination of sci-fi. There's a love story in there. Uh, I mean, it was just so fascinating. And it was one of those, wow, what a, I have no, I've, I've been a f- science fiction fan for a long time and I have never heard of this. This is very cool. When you start thinking from uh, th- this kind of, Okay, I got to get out of the box. I got to get out of the nine dots. Uh, I, I I've got to think of something that is just out of this world. Where does physics or quantum physics play into this? Because <clears throat> even with those two elements of of um, understanding our natural world and even our esoteric world, our spiritual world, uh, we we've defined a lot of rules, a lot of laws. Okay. Yep. But that doesn't mean we found them all. <clears throat> Do you ever find yourself pondering? Oh, for sure. What? Yeah, I mean, I think, and I love, like, last year, again, even on the flight out, I was, I was reading um, Dr. Joe Dispenza's book. I think it's Becoming Supernatural is the name of the book. But he talks about the quantum field. And uh, most people, when they hear quantum, they think, Maybe, I don't know if most, but a lot of people might think like the Avengers, the Marvel movies, because mm. they enter the quantum realm and that's how they go back in time and stuff. But um, like Dispenza's work has been like breathtaking because he's basically like sort of validated, at least in my mind, that there is a quantum realm. There's something out there and it's this realm of infinite possibility. And if you like are clear on what like you want to manifest in your life and you have this vision, you can start to manifest that in your life going through the quantum realm and his I've done his meditations and they are like next world. And so I think when you start to think about, well, okay, if that's true, if that's true, if we, and we know, we know the quantum world exists because we've been able to see quarks and all this stuff and we've got quantum physics. Well, wait a minute, because I thought this is a material world. <clears throat> but now we're saying, well, it's not material. It's, it's energy. I mean, there is material stuff that the energy kind of coalesces into or we create, but it's still energy. And if that's the case, and I think you said earlier that, you know, we we make choices based on our perception of reality. Well, that's the law of attraction. What you're putting out into the universe, you're getting back. So then you're like, all right, well, that's quantum because mm-hmm. we've already said that. So I think, I think, you know, I love the way you said it too, because it's not like, I think most people kind of don't take time to ponder a lot of this stuff we did not invent the law of gravity we discovered the law of gravity like that is like that is so profound to me that we discovered something that was already in existence it's not like and it's the same thing i was i was doing research for a blog post on uh ben franklin like the stuff i thought i knew and i thought ben franklin was the guy who discovered electricity well no but really is ben friend franklin's the guy who made a connection between lightning and electricity and hint they're the same thing just different sizes but like through my research, I found like ancient Romans had batteries, like they had batteries. They even, I think, have found that the ancient Greeks 
knew that you could create static electricity. So like, there's this like, well, that's something I have to rewrite my mental notes now. So I think there is so much about the universe that we have yet to discover. I think there are tons of laws that we have yet to fully appreciate. I think, you know, honestly, I think as people get more familiar with the law of attraction is that I think goes really mainstream. And I think that's what there's all these little masterminds and entrepreneurial spirits creating, then like that's part of going to feed into this global awakening as well. You know, uh, you, you struck on something I find fascinating. Uh, and I've, I've said this before too, and that is <clears throat> that we think we, you know, there are 10 billion laws of the universe and we discovered 10 and we know it all now. And then the next year we find number 11. Ah, now we know it all. And the, the interesting thing about science, for example, that many people have a, uh, and again, this is just my perception, mind you. They, they don't understand that this sounds kind of weird, but I think it's a great saying. Science is not an exact science. And that science is constantly changing because we discovered law number 11 and number 12 and number 13 and so forth. Um, What are some of the elements that weren't a part of your philosophy, your mindset, um, when you started down this path? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part of it was, you know, so I grew up in a Judeo-Christian household. We went to church pretty pretty regularly. Um, And, like, I'd always heard about the Spirit or, you know, Save Your Soul and you hear that, but you live in a material world and so you're like, okay, soul. Yeah, I heard that. And and then I think for me, again, sort of the the this revelation of going into yoga and having something awaken inside inside me and be like, what is that? And start to kind of scratch at it and scratch at it more until you're like, oh my gosh, there really is a spiritual dimension to life. And the more you kind of feed it, the more you become it. And so it's, you, you find the commonality in every person, regardless of what they look like, regardless of what they believe in. You realize that if they have different beliefs or they don't have the same kind of enlightenment that necessarily you do, it's just because they're on a different path in their journey. Like they haven't gotten to that place, but eventually in this form, in another form, they're going to get to that place because like consciousness kind of only coalesces. So I think for me, it was uh, how, how big, can the spiritual aspect or soul inside me become like how, how much can that really come to the table? And I think certainly over the course, like even, even like I've got a journal right next to me, this is like, this is stuff that I've been writing uh, for my, for my book, for this, for this third book, which absolutely has to do with the pandemic. Like you want to talk about, it's, it's funny because someone asked me in an interview recently, like what's, who's my favorite author. And I say Stephen King because I can read like Pet Cemetery today and it still creeps me out. But what's amazing about King is he creates characters and he puts you inside their head. And you're like, this character is crazy. Like they're talking about talking to ghosts or this guy's going to dig up his son. He's a perfectly reasonable doctor, but he's going to go dig up his son and bury him in an area, you know, Indian burial ground to bring him back to life or something. And then you step back to the writer and you're like, Stephen King made all that up. 
that came from one person's mind and whatever his experience of life was, but he created that. And so like, when I look at what I've been writing, like it's like it, it transformed into this book called being about winning the game of your life to this tremendously spiritual love story about bringing like together the spiritual idea of love through sacrifice with the romantic idea of love. And this idea, like it's almost become this book on like this ultimate love story. And so I'm almost kind of writing it real time because like, I just now probably for the past five months or so, I've just been journaling because the stuff I was writing, I kind of kept, it was almost like I was teaching myself to write the book. I wrote like four or five versions by hand and then I couldn't finish it. And then I realized I went back to Jack Canfield telling me I had a year and I'm like, that's what he meant. Like, it's going to take me a year to like go through this journey. So I think, you know, the short answer to your question is just like understanding how big or how powerful the spiritual or soulful aspect of life can really be. I find it fascinating. Uh, now, at the same time, <clears throat> it has been said from a biblical perspective that there is nothing new under the sun. And it doesn't matter what you're talking about, whether you're talking about uh, uh, an idea, whether you're talking about a, a, a storyline, whether you're talking about whatever you're talking about, there's nothing new. Uh, and so when I think about people like Stephen King and his quote-unquote creativity, I often wonder, what are these people tapping into? Because... Yes, yeah, 100%. And why are they tapping into that? You know, kind of, especially... I'm not a big Stephen King fan. My wife loves it, loves the movies that have come out. Uh, there, yeah. are, there have been television shows that have been uh, created on, on the theme of, I think... Um, we're waiting for season two or three, I don't know which, of The Stand. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Great, great book, by the way. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm watching it, you know, and I, it's just, it doesn't, it doesn't grab me because it's not really what I'm interested in. But what I am interested in is where these ideas come from. And I'm not speaking specifically of the Stephen King. I'm talking about whether you are writing. Okay. And these ideas come into your head. Do you do you consider? Is it even conscious on your part that I'm? And I'm going to use this term. You can use whatever yeah. you want. Yeah, I'm yeah. channeling this information from my higher self, from the divine, from et cetera, et cetera. Is that does that ever go through your mind? Um. I'm so glad you talked about this because I think, uh, yes, I think like the, the, one of the greatest lessons I took away from the, the, the course of the last year that's been working on this book was I watched the original Moby Dick, which I think came out in 1956. And then I watched In the Heart of the Sea, which is based on the story that inspired Herman Bell, Melville to write Moby Dick. And In the Heart of the Sea came out in 2015. And, and then I, I started to read Moby Dick and I was just like, it's fascinating because what my takeaway was, Richard, was as a writer, you're creating a world, but we would never have heard of Herman Melville if it weren't for Moby Dick. And Moby Dick is, the whale is based on a whale that sunk a ship in, I think, the 1700s um, or 1800s. I can't remember. I think it's 1800s. But, but so in some sense, Moby Dick created Herman Melville. And there have been times, and I think that's kind of the nirvana for a writer is when I was writing this, because again, I was writing it by hand, 
like there's no other more intimate form of communication you can physically have with yourself. Like not even your thoughts necessarily, because at least when you're writing something down, you're like, oh, I, oh my gosh, that's really deep or whatever the case may be. But there were times when I was writing it and I'm like, where's this coming from? Like, this is amazing to me. And that's, I absolutely, I'm convinced that whether it's Stephen King tapping into the dark worlds that he creates, Herman Melville, Marvel, whoever, that as a creator, you are not only tapping into something that you want to create, but that thing is tapping into you to create you because it kind of wants you to tell the story in the best way possible. And so, yeah, like when I, I mean, it, some of the stuff I've written, I've gone back to look at it. Like, I have no idea where that came from. I have, I've said things that have come from my pen and that's like, that's kind of the ultimate place that you want to be as a writer where you're not, again, it's that it's the lack of filter. If my hand is writing and I don't know where it's coming from, I'm just kind of watching it happen. That is like, it sounds like it's almost possession, but it's like, that's, that's exactly where I want to be because now it's like, I have this idea, but it is so instantaneous from here to here that there is no translation on my perception of the world. This is just authentically me writing in real time something that's coming from me and tapping into that something is like so beautiful i think that's what every writer ultimately aspires to so i absolutely believe that yeah you know i wrote a short story in southwest literature class in high school i still have that as well as the uh instructor uh, his name was uh, miller uh, mr miller and uh i i kudos out to him for his his encouragement of me writing these stories <clears throat> and I start looking back at some of these stories that I wrote, and I now I, I, I don't want to say I overthink them, but I sort of analyze them and say, okay, where did this story come from? Not so much as far as the source per se, but what is this saying about me? Uh, and yeah. this particular short story called Conflagration at Sea had to do with uh, an elder statesman uh, in the literary world writing his books and so forth and winning award after award after award. And this young whippersnapper, young 21-year-old, uh, he writes a book this one particular year. And, of course, the, the elder statesman thinks, oh, I've got this locked up. No problem. I've won every year anyway, so it's not going to be a big deal. The 21-year-old wins. And this guy is incensed. And he carries out certain actions that, as is revealed at the end, uh, basically uh, indicate that he had planned he hadn't actually consciously planned it but it was the actual story he had submitted for that competition uh and it was that same scenario and and i look at that going okay well we can take a look at the the the, the parallels between what really happened and what he wrote but more so looking at what he did in terms of the emotions and then i look at that in terms of myself now, you're writing self-help, you're writing coaching, you're writing encouragement and support and, and what have you and helping people to find their purpose, not so much fiction. Um, do you, and you even made this comment before, where you took and, you know, ran the 40 or 50 pages through the shredder, so to speak, saying, no, 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 that's not, and started yeah. over because you said it was too autobiographical. Do you, uh, and so that tells me that what you were uh, at that particular point sort of realizing that it wasn't really what you wanted to say in the context of the theme, the title of the book, 
And so when you went back, when you went back, did you get into that zone you just described to us? And I guess the other part of it would be when you wrote the first draft that you ended up shredding, yep. Were you do, are you aware that you were in that zone or were you self-editing? Were you thinking too much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, th- I think a lot of it was self-editing because whiskey and yoga, it was, you know, I had when I got out of the Marines, I, like, I was an English major in, in college, in high school. I got some stuff published. I got national recognition for a short story. But I didn't take myself seriously as a writer. And I knew I was going to join the Marines. So when I joined the Marines, I put I put my writing aside until I worked for a boss who uh, painted. And he had, like, his paintings in his office. And I was blown away. So I started writing poetry again. And when I got out, I tried. Like, I wanted to be the next Stephen King. So I was like, I, was, I had these great ideas for horror stories. And I'd write about 100 pages. And it would just, the idea would peter out. I'm like, okay, that's not gonna work. And I, but I did that like three or four times and just wrote a lot. And I realized when, when I started Whiskey and Yoga, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't purely about what's the message I'm trying to get across. It was, can I write a book? Like it was, can I actually do this? Because I've wanted to, I've, I've, I've like, this has been my sort of childhood dream and I poo-pooed it and put it aside. And now I'm facing like, okay, can I really do this? And so initially, like with the 200 pages, I don't think I was really in the zone because it is a struggle because you're like, what do I want to say? And you realize as a writer, you don't want to do that. And so a couple of years later, after I finally wrote Whiskey and Yoga, I, um, someone recommended me a book called Writing Down the Bones by Natalie Goldberg. I actually have it on my desk right here. And she does this great exercise in the early part of the book where she says, get a pen and paper, Again, not a computer, pen and paper, get a timer. And even just like three minutes, time yourself writing and don't let your pen come off the paper. Don't edit yourself. Don't worry about margins. Don't worry about spelling. Don't worry about like how big you're writing. Just write. And I remember the first time I did that, I'm like, okay, I said it for three minutes. I'm like, all right, this is going to be weird. And I think that was probably the first thing I said, like, this is weird. This doesn't make sense to me. Why am I doing this? The timer goes off three minutes later. I've written like three or four pages. I'm like, whoa that's amazing. And so I did it a couple more times. And like, by the third time I did it, I'm like, well, I want to have a subject. If I time myself and say, okay, I want to write about like, I think I was writing about someone retiring from like work. And I came up with stuff. I'm like, wow, like this guy has a personality that I didn't know. I didn't create like preconceived, but it just kind of came out with like, it came out. This is who the guy is. This is what he thinks about like this person he worked with. And so I don't, I certainly didn't have it in whiskey and yoga. I think I had it in bits and pieces in the lighthouse keeper because I would get into a flow and there's like, there's some really cool sort of visual things that I did in the beginning when he first gets to the lighthouse. And it's, it's kind of Stephen King ish because it's like the wailing of a thunderstorm against the lighthouse and what that does to like the wind sweeping through the, the windows. And um, so you have to, but you have to train yourself to do that. And even over the course of this year, like I have, I have, eight notebooks next to me that I've written probably 500 pages this in the last 12 months since the pandemic started all handwritten. And I don't know if anybody's ever going to see any of it, but the purpose of writing is like, you kind of, you want to get to that place where the writing just flows and you don't have to think you don't have to edit. You're not sort of like, there is no delay. It's just like, Oh my gosh, where's this coming from? So it takes training, but that's ultimately like, it's, it's true of anything. Like LeBron James does not, only shoot basketball during when he's on TV. Like he shoots baskets for hours, like every single day, virtually writing is the same thing. You have to write every single day. So I take a moment, even if I write like three or four sentences, like, okay, that's what I was feeling in that moment. 
and then how's that prepare me for writing something bigger? So yeah, absolutely. Like there's, there's moments of it, but, but it, it comes with training. There's an evolutionary process that's going on there yep. uh, from one book to the next. Uh, you know, I, I, and I think too about what you said about quantum physics and the, uh, the quantum field. And I know Lynn McTaggart writes about that as well in the field and so forth and uh, others as well. And I think of some of the science fiction, you know, the force, you know, and, and um, even in Star Trek Next Generation, you know, though there is a great anthropomorphization, there's a big word for you, uh, of, of the force in the character the Q, uh, you know, who is not so benevolent, rather mischievous, uh, who can basically do whatever it wants. In this case, it's a male. I thought it would have been interesting if the Q had been a female. But um, we, we acknowledge through our, our science fiction as well as our own personal uh, musings about some force, some intelligence, something. I mean, I still remember... I still remember the one movie, Star Trek movie, where they traveled, and it was actually a, one of the characters was Spock's brother, and they traveled to the to the end of the universe, wherever that is, uh, to find God. And it oh, turns wow. out it wasn't the benevolent God that they were hoping for, and uh, so forth. <laughs> it never is. But it's it's just interesting that. We seem to have, and I, I, I don't know if it's because that's what we've been taught or programmed to believe that there is. And I'm not saying that whether there is or isn't, because you can't prove something that doesn't exist. By the same token, it's very difficult to prove something that you can't see, feel, taste, smell, although hearing, you know, because we're talking about the still small voice here. Um, it's, it's hard to prove to someone else. It's like, okay, David, I could give you all of my own personal experiences of, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are now going to believe it. I don't have to justify my awareness of a, a, a greater intelligence, if you will. And then, of course, it leads to the next question of, is there anything after this? Well, if, if I believe that we're immortal, you know, the essence that we're talking about at the beginning of the program, yep. uh, if there is nothing after this, I'm never going to know it anyway, right? Right. So if it, if it keeps me sane to believe, to believe that there is something after this world, and it keeps me, uh, you know, focused on, okay, I believe that my life has meaning and I have a life's purpose— I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, keeps me occupied. Because, again, I could say, you know what, David, I'm done. I'm going to go out, rape, pillage, and plunder because my life has no meaning. This is an accident. And my, int my intellect tells me, uh-uh, that doesn't make sense that there's all of this and this conversation we just had about understanding our place and our purpose and all of this. And then that's it. That makes no sense to me. But by the same token, maybe that's just my brain saying, we're going to keep you protected here. We're going to keep you sane so you don't end up in a, a rubber room somewhere. <laughs> well, I think, Richard, I want to go back to something you said earlier, right? And it, it, it pertains to like Star Trek and even like, like I said, I, I love like Justice League, like Zack Snyder made Justice League and they like 
gave him like $70 million to like do it after he had to leave the original film, which came out in 2017. Mm -hmm. So it just came out on HBO max. And you know, if you, if you say as a writer, you get into this place, Stephen King, Herman Melville, whoever, and you're touching the divine because now you have the spark of inspiration. Well, that isn't just applying to writing then it's applying to movies too. So you say, you look at the movies that we're creating and you're like, I remember in 1976 when Christopher Reeve played Superman, you could tell he was flying against the back. It was really cool, but you could tell and didn't really have a sense of how strong he is. You look at Henry Cavill playing Man of Steel now, Superman, you have a sense of how strong he is. Same thing with like the Marvel characters, like you start to have a sense of this. So I think like as we're able to accept more levels of reality, then more levels of reality are going to produce themselves. Because if you say that, well, Justice League is just a movie, well, no, if someone had to write it first, which seems there's this inspiration, so they're connecting to the divine, and then the divine is like saying, this is how the story should go. Well, okay, then then we're getting messages from the divine all the time. You call it God or whatever, then you just have to pay attention to them. And I think there's something to the idea that I mean, you look at this happen, I know like Asian Americans have been like, you know, crimes against them have gone up in recent weeks and it's like people are blaming them for a virus that originated in China. And it's like, how do you make the connection that someone that lives in your neighborhood is yeah. somehow responsible for this virus? And you see in some sense, that's how far we still have to go. But I think when you look at you know, I, I absolutely believe there's a God. I ultimately, and that's kind of what my third book has become, is God is a love story. Like, it doesn't matter. We have this mystical, like, how can something so enormous exist in the universe and this un, like incomprehensible figure? I think God is a love story. I think mm -hmm. God is a love story. And if, you know, depending on how you believe, maybe you can get there a different path. I'm writing the story that takes that gets me to that path in, in, in my own way. But, I, you know, I think it's incredible to me that when you really start to open up and you understand the oneness of the universe, and again, that's kind of a yoga concept, doesn't really apply to Christianity, like at least in, in the Christian mindset from what I've seen, it doesn't really apply. But like we're all one, then that means God is part of us too. You just have to recognize and appreciate it. And that's, it's interesting. I, I was reading something. I, I, I follow a, like a Bible verse thing with a friend of mine online and something talked about, there's a Bible verse that talks about um, the Jews being inwardly people. And that's kind of the language I use, the Jewish people being inwardly people. And I'm like, what does inwardly mean? And hmm. so, cause I hadn't really like, I, I mean, inwardly, I kind of have a sense of it. Well, it's internal, but I looked it up and the definition is inwardly is someone who is expressing something externally, but seething on the inside. And I'm like, huh, well, that's interesting because then that means we're all in a way, the Jewish people, because we're all seething. Like we all have said things like, oh, Hey, things are fine. Meanwhile, behind like the, the eyeshadow, we're like, those mother crush that guy. So we've all done that. And that's kind of the message of the Bible story is we look at it from this, you know, especially it's interesting since Easter's coming up, but we look at it, this idea that like, oh, the Jews were wrong to persecute Jesus. And then the Romans were wrong to crucify him. And then, but all this goodness born out of it. Well, if you start to look at it from God's perspective, God knew that was going to happen. Like it had to happen that way. Everyone falls short. Like in the, in the Christian tradition, everyone falls short everyone falls short. 
So you got to like, there's a penance to be paid, but all that means is everybody's inwardly. So like, you know, you just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's been super refreshing. And I think that like ever, everything that's artistically done, you're, you're absolutely connected to divine, whether it's a painting, whether it's a book, whether it's a movie, whether it's a photograph, like when you have that spark of excitement, you're like, Oh my, look what I captured. Like that is a divine moment. There, there's no other explanation for it. There's yeah. no, there's no cerebral. It's not like juices flowing through your head. It's a divine moment. hundred percent. You know, That's interesting though, your description there in terms of, uh, of, of God. Uh, and, uh, I often tell people, and, and I came up with this many years ago. I worked for 15 years back in the eighties, early nineties during the height of the televangelism. Uh, I worked for a Christian radio station back in Phoenix and, uh, I learned a lot through that experience. It was the best education I was ever paid for. And um, one of the things that I came out of that uh, with was that my boss said that I was a casualty of Christian radio because I didn't, I didn't tow the party line. That was, that was one thing. And I took that as a compliment. Um, but the other part of it was, all right, let's just say for the sake of argument, there is a day of judgment. I die and now I'm standing before God. What am I going to say? Well, I will say two things. Number one, your lordship. Um, let me just say that there is nothing I can say that's going to have any bearing on what you're going to do with me. Because that has always been in your hands. I did the best with the life you gave me. If it wasn't sufficient and I didn't do all the right things... Hey, there's nothing I can do about it. Two, and finally, you are omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. You knew how my life was going. You set this all up from the beginning. You knew how this was going to end. So in the final analysis, your lordship, this is on you, not me. Okay. And I'm not saying that I was a puppet on a string being manipulated by forces I do not understand. I take full responsibility for my life. Yep. But in terms of that day of judgment, if it truly does exist, not God, it's on you. Because you set it up. The house... I, think that's, I love what you said, Richard, because I think it's so true. And I read, I read a fascinating book. I can't remember the guy's name. His, real, like his, his writing is brilliant. It's almost hard to understand, but... I read a book over the summer called All Shall Be Saved. It was basically the idea that everyone gets saved because like, if you think about it, like we're like the whole idea and I've taught, I mean, I know I've talked to like educated adults who think like, oh, if you don't like do, if you're not Christian enough, you're going to hell. And like, is that the kind of God that we created? Like, or they, that created us is one who's like, okay, I'm hopeful that my plan works and I at least get 51% of of people in heaven and the other soul, like 49% go to like, like it's, it's this weird, like election. And it's not that way at all. Like, I think it's God is like, listen, your life in some ways I've, I've tried to write this a little bit in my book. In some ways I feel like the life we live, we're already sort of paying for like this mistakes we're going to make, like in some way, shape or form, you do that as you go. And, but I absolutely, I think, I think you were hundred percent on. And that's why I go back to, it's a love story. Like God did this because like of love. And at some point, I think what's exciting, at least, you know, what my belief is we're going to find out what that, like how big that love is. Like, I yeah. think 
the idea, cause I agree with you immortality, eternity, I'm on board. Like that was the whole, that was the whole sort of premise behind Jesus dying was you don't have to die anymore because I did. And you're like, well, but I see people dying. Why is that happening still? Yeah. Um, but, but ultimately I think, yeah, it's going to be like, you know what, this was, I, this is how much I love you. This is what I did. I know it was hard sometimes, but like now you get to reap the rewards. And I think that's going to be super, super cool. Well, when I was working over there, I kept hearing messages about how we were nothing more than lowly worms. We were just, I mean, it was just awful, right? I mean, we were just horrible, sinful, da 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 because of original sin. And then I got to thinking about the, the Christian philosophy, especially in terms of the sacrifice. And I'm thinking, okay, if I were a parent and I was able to sacrifice something in order to, shall we say, save something else, that, that which I want to save must have value, right? It must be precious. So I thought, we had to have been precious and priceless before the sacrifice, Oh yeah. Or there wouldn't have been that. one. What would it, he said, you know what, I'm just gonna wipe the earth, I'll start over. I'll just start over. But he didn't do but God didn't do that. And then again, this is the Christian philosophy here. So yes. with the sacrifice, now here's here's the sort of paradox. We were priceless before the, the, the sacrifice. Afterwards, we were even we were more than priceless, if that's even possible. Okay? Well, and so that's yeah. why I tend to agree with what you were just saying, that I'm, I'm kind of with you, that I, I, I just can't see why, because to me, the whole message that I got about heaven and hell and all of that, I'm going, okay, God isn't love. <clears throat> God's an extortionist. Yeah. Well, and that was, no, I love, first, because we didn't even talk about the great conjunction. Like, we didn't talk about the, the winter solstice, Saturn and Jupiter, Jupiter appearing next to each other four days before Christmas. And that's called the star of Bethlehem. Right. They didn't even talk about that yet, but I love what you said, because I think like heaven's supposed to start on earth. And I was like, okay, what does that look like? Like what? Cause if, if, if that's a conscious thing, like if that's con like if that's consciousness, then everyone has to experience that at some point, you could have been Marcus Aurelius in 100 AD or whatever. But at some point, if heaven starts on earth then everyone gets to experience it, but I think it's like, I, I, I absolutely agree with you hundred percent. It's so funny that we're talking about this because it has, it's been such a huge influence in my writing and like, yeah. And, and part of, because part of my story has even evolved to what would it look like for Jesus to, and, and granted in the modern day, I don't think like he's going to come down wearing robes and sandals, but like, what would it be like for Jesus to reunite Mary and God's father, like not Joseph, if Joseph was just a man, but like God's, what, like, what would that be like? What, how would you like, you want to talk about a second coming, like the whole planet would orgasm something like that happened. Like that would be, <laughs> oh my gosh, like, are you serious? That is just, that's what's happening. That's Jesus or like whoever, and that's his mom and dad. And they're like, they're the whole reason that we're here. What? Like, that would be like, I mean, I can barely conceive, like I can already feel like how much like love and beauty there is in that. And so, yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely onto something. Like it's hard for us to go through like marriages and divorces and like fights and hurting people and hurting ourselves. And like, what is the purpose of all this? Like, why are we doing this? Yeah. And then you have something like a pandemic hits and the whole world's like, you know what, let's just slow down for a little bit. And we haven't talked about the idea that the corona is 
the ring around the sun, which is sort of this, if you think of Jesus, like with the ring around his head in some pictures, or corona means crown. We haven't talked about, like, that's the name of this virus. Oh, by the way. Um, so, yeah, it's like, I, it's it's so funny because, and this this year has been hard. Like, I, I, like some of my friends have talked about the dark night of the soul, and you go through, like, especially as a writer, you're in your head a lot. And, like, having conversations with different characters and see how they behave and, like, figuring out, does that work? Does that not work? Um, it, but it's been tough. And, and ultimately it's like, you know what, I, I believe like, I gotta keep, I gotta keep going through this. And I, I, I firmly believe something beautiful is going to be on the other side of it. And I think that's, that's kind of the approach. Again, it comes back to how are you looking at the glass? Is it half full or half empty? Yeah, exactly. Fascinating stuff. Uh, we could go on for another hour. I'm sure. Oh my gosh, uh, this has been so good. Yeah, I, I just, I, I, and I love this stuff. And of course, I tend to get into the mode where I, I will expound my perspectives, uh, hoping that, yeah, I completely agree with you. And yet at the same time, I've had wonderful situations where I'll expound my perspective and the the guest will say, I had this happen actually, where the guest will say, well, I don't think so. Let me just share with you. And he shared with my, share with me his perspective. And I listened to yeah. it. I heard it. And I responded with, well, there goes another one of my grass huts up in flames. Uh, because I, it's like, I, I can see where you're coming from. That makes very good sense to me. Makes better sense than where I was coming from a, a moment or two ago. But that's kind of what it's about. And that's not to say that we have to change our perspectives every time someone uh, shares a counter. But when you are using the brain, good, the brain that the good Lord gave you, the universe gave you, the, the force, whatever you want to call it, gave you, yep. uh, to genuinely try to parse through and vet through all of this information that we all have and we're all trying to share. And you start to realize, oh, you know, I never thought of it that way. Let me, let me put that into my computer and see how that works. Oh, yeah, Okay. I can see that. Yeah. All right. I'm going to make a shift. I'm going to rewrite the programming right there. I'm going to change the code just a little bit. That then changes virtually everything else as you go down the line. And it's just it's just a natural progression. Uh, or if I may use the dirty word that Christians don't like, that's the evolutionary process. It just yeah. is. Um, and I find that fascinating. I, 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 it's a shame that there's such a problem with the word evolution when, in fact, that's the reason why we send our children to school, to evolve intellectually. Uh, otherwise, what's the point? Well, I think that, that that's one of the other things I wanted to say, Richard. I'm so glad you said that. Is like, I don't, I, I'm pretty convinced that God does not want conformity. Like, I think God wants as much diversity of life as possible because that's what, like, that's the beauty of life. Like, if you feel like you want to tattoo your entire face and that makes you feel beautiful, tattoo the way. Like, I don't think God's like, mm, uh, no, I meant to be a 13th commandment and no tattoos on the face, bad idea. Like, I think the more you appreciate diversity, the more you appreciate the strength of like, that's that's what evolution is. Like, regardless, if you think that, like, I have a hard time thinking that, like, if the Bible, if we interpret the Bible to mean 6,000 years old, that's that's a hard push for me if the universe is 14 billion years old i am but i think if i look back and say like there's something too like you know you think about i don't remember how i think if we say life is like three billion years old i don't remember the exact number but um 
but I like sight has only been around for like a billion years or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like, and there's no explanation for why sight got thrown in suddenly. Like, I think it's the, um, I wrote about this in whiskey yoga, I'm the blank on it, but there's some, there's some period. I think it's maybe the, the Cambrian explosion is what it is where like sight happened and then all this sort of evolutionary growth happened in a really compressed amount of time. And there's no basis for why we should have had sight. So you think like, well, for 2 billion years or so, like there was tons of life on the planet and no one could see anything like no creatures could see. And so like, they're just replicating. Well, that's no good. So like you see that suddenly sight gets thrown into the equation and now you get to the point where you and I are having a conversation real time, 3000 miles apart. And yeah, like what's the next evolutionary step? I think that's the ultimate question is, okay, we got human, we have down what comes after that, because that feels like it's coming next. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I tend to, uh, use <laughs> a lot of Star Trek analogies on this. Program. Good. A dear friend of mine who I reconnected with not long ago, uh, he and I worked together at this Christian station, and we used to have conversations all the time, and he used to tell me how Star Trek Next Generation in particular was our modern-day mythology. So I started watching the programs from that perspective. And there was one episode where uh, one of the characters in the program was being chased by members of his planet because he was different. Because he was actually, in this case, he was both physically as well as spiritually evolving. And when he finally went through the final transformation, the physical transformation, he became this, this glowing bipedal being who could actually go right through the ship's walls out into space. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow. Now, I'll bet you that is more of a representation of what we might look like as that essence, if there yeah. is even any kind of a visual of, uh, uh, perception to our essence that animates the body. Yeah. And I thought, wow, that is pretty darn cool. So I've, I, I, am, I am very, very intrigued. Also in the subject of death and dying, or I like to reuse the word transformation. All right. Transitioning. Yeah. I'm sorry. Transitioning. Because... Okay. It intrigues me what's on the other side, if you will. And, and it, it isn't like there is really another side. I mean, we're already on that side because, again, we're already immortal. Right. But I still, from the intellect, from the ego personality side, I'm going, what is that person who just crossed over, if you will, transitioned? What are they? Exp I remember when Michael Jackson passed. I, I, that was the first thing I went through my mind. Not, oh, yeah. how sad. That's so terrible. Oh, my God. That's awful. Who did this? It was, I wonder what is he doing? What is he experiencing? And that's when I was introduced not long after to Life Between Lives, LBL, uh, with a, um, oh, I can't remember the doctor's name now. Uh, he's got a number of books. Uh, Newton, Dr. Newton is his, okay. is his name. And uh, I don't think he's alive anymore, but his institute uh, has has books out, uh, which I have on Audible, and I listen to them. And they're case studies of people who were put through hypnosis to travel back. And I've had this experience myself with a practitioner here in Santa Barbara who took me back to my last life. And it was fascinating. And um, basically, my transition was where I was sitting at my cabin. I walked outside, had my hat on, sat down in my chair, leaned the chair back, put my feet up on the rail. 
And I tipped my hat back and I said, man, this life has been good. And I left. Wow. I left. I just left. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I know of people, I've had, had them on this program who have had an experienced out-of-body and near-death experiences. One guy, born-again, Bible-believing, evangelical Christian, who induces those experiences. I says, where in the Bible does it say that you can do that? He says, nowhere. And that, which, again, that's one of those things that gives me hope for the future of mankind in terms of the philosophies, that people, yeah, I believe this and I believe that and the other, but it's kind of like people like Edgar Casey. They did what they did in spite of what their ego personality was fighting against. Johannes Graeber was the same way, a book that he wrote called uh, Communication with the Spirit World of God. Uh, he did the same thing. He channeled this entity who basically castigated the Catholic Church back in the 30s, uh, and he, uh, he was a Catholic priest, <laughs> and yet he was, channeling, he was channeling this work. It was fascinating reading. It really was. And I was born and raised Catholic. Wow. Didn't bother me in the least. Uh, but I still have a great love for it and the ceremony and ritual and so forth. Anyway, we're coming to the end of our program here. I have three final questions I would love to ask you. You might have addressed them during the program, but you know what? I, I like to ask them pointedly. Before sure. I do, I want to let our listeners know that you can hear these programs not only during this special edition of Tell Me Your Story, but also on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. and Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other locations. We're also on YouTube where you can watch these videos. And we also encourage you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s, to go within, spend time. You want to have the Roaring Twenties? See what the Roaring Twenties are like inside. Uh, it's pretty exciting, I guarantee you. You're going to have a lot of fun getting to know who you are, which is a real key right now. We need to know who we are in order to understand who others are, and I think uh, it, it'll be a great lesson. And if, you, uh, if this resonates with you and you'd like to participate financially in this program, we would greatly appreciate that. PayPal and Patreon accounts for your security as well as ours. So now we come to the point in the program where we ask you, our guest, three final questions. The first of which is, who is David Richards? Oh, uh, wow. I think um, I'm just going to say a storyteller. That's my short and sweet answer. I'm a storyteller. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I think with my third book, I really, I really want to, it's a book that I think people are going to want to read. I think people are going to want to read, pour over it again and again because of the love and the beauty and the depth in it. And it's, it's written in really simple terms. Um, but I think ultimately, like, I want to, I want to raise the consciousness of the planet. And finally, <laughs> taking the quote from whiskey and yoga, what is your life's purpose? Great question. So, uh, the purpose of my life is to be a force for progress. Uh, speaking and writing with passion and sharing in life's joyous moments. 
David Richards, I thank you again so much for joining us on the program and sharing your perspectives, your ideas, and your work with us through the Lighthouse Keeper as well as Whiskey and Yoga. And we look forward to, whether it's called Being or by any other title, we would love to have you on the program to converse about that because uh, I think that by the time we get there, the synchronicity will be such that it will be absolutely time for that particular work. And uh, so please, let's stay in touch and uh, we'll, we'll have another great conversation about that. Richard, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. And definitely, I'm ready to go back when, uh, when this book comes out. I'm Richard Dugan, and I thank you for listening to as well as watching. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a New World. Don't forget our YouTube channel, which is Richard Dugan, and tell me your story. Just look for the guy with the hat. And uh, until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to all.